0: I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today on The Detail...
1: I started from the bottom last season, now they're here!
2: From the wooden spoon to the finals. The breakers are back where for so long they belonged.
1: And that'll do us! 92-77!
2: There's no better reality TV in sport and I think the New Zealand breakers proves it right they've had two years of absolute crap
0: it's been a long often painful sometimes controversial seven years
2: every time I think the breakers are going to start to slip they just keep winning
0: yes an eventful seven years but the breakers are back in the grand finals of the National Basketball League they've played their first match against the Kings in Sydney number two is in Auckland on Sunday in a best of five contest
1: Five games, this is going five. Five games to play your best basketball. That's the beauty about the game.
0: So what is it about this team that brought some real razzmatazz to sport in Aotearoa? And who is this magician, Coach Modi Maor?
2: This is a breakers team that is on the same page. They seem to genuinely like each other and they seem to genuinely love uh, the head coach.
1: They love Modi, they Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the way he operates, the way he leads.
0: Well, I have to admit, I got a little starstruck when I spoke to him at the airport just before the team flew off to Australia, and more on that soon. But first, a bit of a breakdown on the breakers. RNZ's Nathan Rariri has been a fan from day one.
2: When they used to play at the North Shore Event Centre, and it was great because it had that old... I'm watching a game from 1982 feel about it. Like in YMCA court where you can see, I mean, you can see lines from other sports that are on there. Now, are those still the badminton lines that are on there that they're from? <laughs> but it was such a sweat box. And when it rained in there, it was really loud and the roof would leak sometimes for games. But it was quite nice, you know, in in that way because it felt quite, uh, I hate to use this term, but it felt, felt quite Kiwi. You know, the whole number eight wire, we'll put it together hey, we've got a team in the league too.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, Nathan, that it's not very Kiwi now.
2: No. Is it? No, 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 no. It's no, very yeah. American. Yeah, well, now it's, it's it's the the word I'd use is slick. Spark Arena, gosh, I mean, you know, when it first announced they're going to Spark Arena, you're like, how are you going to fill Spark Arena? You'll never fill it. And they do. Yeah. And it's really, really loud in there. It's, it's amazing what, what they do in there.
0: So let's get back to the beginning when, well, there just weren't any crowds
2: there at all. Went to the first game. Jeff Green is the coach, and he was perfect because Jeff Green is this larger-than-life personality. Is Him, he American? No, no, no. He's the New Zealander, oh, uh-huh. uh, Māori guy who's been a, a coach for a long time, a coach for a lot of teams. But he's perfect because Jeff Green will tell you exactly what he thinks of you. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone exactly, and he doesn't mind turning around to the crowd and, you know, get, giving them a hand. Signal is that right? You. Yeah. And he's prowling up and down the sidelines, and there were so few people at that opening season game. You could, the ball made an echo when it bounced. You could hear the timeouts that were going on, and, and we won the first game against Adelaide, and you thought, this is great. We're in the league. And then we what. Must have been like ten or eleven in a row that, that they lost and so so they parted ways with Jeff Green in the way. But his personality was huge for it because he could see that New Zealand needed showtime. So I grew up in the eighties and I remember seeing on Sport On One once this game where these players had these really cool names like Magic Johnson mm. and Kareem Abdul Jabbar and some guy called Larry Bird and you thought, This is cool, look yeah. at it and they looked so exotic. Yeah. And then New Zealand had teams like the, the Exchequer Saints and Truth North Shore, and they were on TV and they were big stars. And then basketball just kind of fizzled for a bit. And then New Zealand, out of nowhere, does very well at the World Basketball Champs.
1: It's all over, Bob.
2: That's it's all it's over. It. We're in the top four. We go to the middle round. Give me five. Oh, the Kiwi crowd are going mental over there. They're all loco. The annals of New Zealand sport have a brand new chapter written in that book. The Tall Blacks are into the semi-finals. Oh. And that was really what the breakers picked up from, was like, right, we're going to try and get into this big Australian league on the way over. But Jeff Green could see, na-na, this is great, this is showtime, you know, we're called the Breakers, it rhymes with the Lakers, this is awesome, <laughs> and he was box office, but it's just not very successful.
0: So you're talking about 2003, because that's yeah. when the franchise was started. Yes, it was, yeah. By Michael Redmond, Dallas Fisher, and Keith Ward. That's
2: right, so that was, yeah, yeah, three businessmen from, from Hamilton, I think mm-hmm. it was, and I would imagine if you look at the seeds of most of the other great clubs around the world, um, it's been a similar way and this come in, and it was really the, the takeover that happened, it must have been a couple of seasons after they started yeah think, so the in
0: 2005 the Blackwells yeah, yeah, yeah. the Liz and Paul Blackwell
2: yeah they were the uh, owners of a supermarket They, when they set it up at the North Shore Event Centre, because they had pack and save, what they could do is they could bring in all the drinks and chips and things like that to sell. And then the bit that really made me think, oh, we're onto something here, was they had this night where they invited in a bunch of us season ticket holders, and they had a whiteboard, and they did the, all right, if you could have any players in the league, who would you like? And what do you think the breakers should do? And and there was a guy at this stage called CJ Bruton, and CJ Bruton was the best player in the entire league, for sure. And so it was like, who's the player you'd want? CJ Bruton. <laughs> they won't get CJ Bruton. And then they went out and they got CJ Bruton. And they stayed there. CJ
1: Bruton explodes this building.
2: And so it was this thing where they were like, "Okay, we'll get these good players to compete." But the beauty of the breakers always has been it's so solidly built around very good New Zealand players.
0: I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I mean, how, how many are New Zealanders and how many are imports? So it has got a strong Kiwi contingent. Yeah, it always
2: has, and it's always been. It's been at the core of it. So many good Tall Blacks involved in this. The likes of a Paul Henare, who ran the, the ran the offense for years, Dylan Boucher, you know, a guy that. Started in the video room, and he was all tenacity and all toughness, and no one could score on him. And a guy called, you know, um, Mika Vacona, who was the Tall Blacks captain. Kurt Penny is our sort of most famous NBA dabbler before, you know, Stephen Adams came along.
1: Kurt Penny, like he's been throughout his career, all class. Here is the acknowledgement from his teammates.
2: Uh, so they always had this of basing it around New Zealand players. And then what was great is the way that they've now had players come up through the development, because around schools now, like basketball is huge. Mm. And I remember to me, realising that the breakers had made the breakthrough when I was uh, picking my daughter up from school and I saw more breakers singlets than I did like Chicago Bulls. Like mm. a little kid from New Zealand walking around in a singlet with another New Zealanders name on it. That's, that was, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, um, and... And so how did they do it? Did they just pour a heap of money into marketing?
2: There's that horrible sport saying that, you know, su- success fixes everything. Your hardcore basketball fans will go to this and they'll like it because they want it to succeed. That's their sport. But you've got to get the casuals. Right, so so the casuals are the tough one. That's what the breakers did, and they had a really good run of results. But they could never really get over about the sixty percent attendance. But it wasn't until the change came, where the Americans arrived, where that's where it became absolute showtime, and you you felt like you'd saved airfare from going overseas because overseas came came to New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah. And
0: so when you say the Americans arrived, that is when. What it was bought by Matt Walsh.
1: Gator great Matt Walsh. Probably hard to recognize him without his hair, but this is my guy. I never anticipated owning a basketball team in New Zealand. I had never been to New Zealand.
2: But there was something about New Zealanders are funny. Like uh, you'll get the whole, oh, I don't like the razzmatazz or too much, mm. too much bloody showbiz and that sort thing. But that's what basketball is. And I remember the first night they had at Spark Arena, they had like a big donut wall. They had, you know, we could get donuts off pegs. And they, they'd, <laughs> they'd really tried to hype it up. And they had the person coming out on the microphone talking. And it didn't quite work so well. And from what I hear, Matt Walsh apparently came in and just said, that doesn't happen again. That wasn't good enough. And people like, Oh my goodness, he's so scary. But what he did was he he set the level of expectation of no, we're, we're going to be as good and as entertaining as people would be when they fly to Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so
0: Matt Walsh, not only is he the owner, but he has a big say in how the whole thing is he run. He a
2: huge say. And I think it was that But with the coming in, it's like, this has cost us a lot of money. I'm going to grab this by the scrub. Do we know and how much? It. It'd be a couple of million. The Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA, someone just sold part of their ownership for $3.9 billion. So that's, that's a little different.
0: Why would someone? someone like Matt Walsh be interested in, uh, you know, in owning a New Zealand basketball team? Well,
2: I think obviously the big one with all of them is always money, right? So you make your money off your sports franchises, off what TV and broadcasting deals that the league can be involved in. And the Australian Basketball League is regarded as, you know, maybe the third best league in the world. But what happens also too is there's a partnership with the NBA. So something that Matt Walsh did brilliantly well was when the high school players from america are you know coming out of there and they get to choose which university they go to it's a big deal for them because it advertises them to nba teams and then they can get picked out of there and then that's their career starting right but what one of them rj hampton
1: five-star basketball recruit in this year's class his name is rj hampton he is a six five guard he has offers from duke
2: RJ Kansas, was like the number Kentucky one recruit that all Kansas. the universities of the States were after.
1: And Texas Tech, and he is here with us live to discuss this.
2: He goes on live on TV on ESPN, he goes... Um, next year, uh, I will be going
1: overseas uh, to play in the Australian Basketball League mm. with the New Zealand Breakers.
2: What? He, He's coming here? Like, a player of that quality? It's like, it's like being told you're getting baby Cristiano Ronaldo coming to come and play football for you, so he comes across to this. But the clever move that Matt Walsh had done was... So all the teams they have this thing called the draft, right? So you yeah. all get to choose you all get to choose a player and they have two rounds of the draft. If he was chosen in the first round, it was guaranteed that the breakers would get 1 million US dollars for him because he was signed for two years but if he left at the end of the one they'd get the million compensation so a brilliant business move because number one now all of a sudden those American owners they've got an attachment to it the social media site all of a sudden they're talking about the breakers they've got these famous American people sitting and they have them in guests and they insist that they wear breakers singlets on the show it's, it's business it's mm. a really really good business move he's got himself this team with a quite dedicated market he can get the TV revenue you out of this that comes, but also because he's very clever with the way he's done things, you know, that's paying the bills for later. So it's two or three steps down the thought chain than most of our New Zealand sports run at. Oh,
0: that's fascinating. OK, but it hasn't all been perfect. You know, we were talking about some <laughs> of those headlines.
2: OK, so the breakers over their time haven't shied away from having players that you would describe as controversial When you bring in an import player, there's always a – it can be a bit of a risk because you look and you go, why is this – big six foot ten American, why don't you play in the NBA? So the ones that come to New Zealand, there's got to be something slightly different there. So probably the most famous case they had was Glenn Rice Jr. Oh yes. Now his father was an NBA legend, three-point shooter, and Glenn Rice Jr. had incredible skill. Then you look at his CV, how come he's in a new team every three months? And you find it out, I mean, I think he ended up in a fight downtown or something two or three weeks in. But what was different with the Breakers was, rather than them trying to hide that or sweep it all Way or do the classic oh yeah we're going to handle that we'll do our own inquiry our own inquiry we'll have our own integrity in it they came out to the press and said hey this has happened with one of our players you can speak to matt you can speak to whoever you'd like to
1: obviously this was just the first step in the legal process we're going to let let it play out in the new zealand law system um, while that happens we're going to continue to support glenn and you know like anyone who's going through this process i would just say you know keep an open mind and let's see let's see how it plays out
2: And uh, we were even shown the video of the incident by their publicity team (laughs) to say, here, go look at that, which is really different. You know, like media um, communications officers, I know the All Blacks one, Mm. the code word was always the media prevention officer. This is our press release. This is what we'd like you to write. Look, you don't even have to write it up. Out it goes. Breaker's very different in that way. That's them. They're a little bit. I wouldn't say brash, but they're just, they're a little bit more confident. Um, And a lot of, particularly the under 20s, uh, people under 25, they live sports differently like they love that what 's on Instagram of it what 's the cool thing of this what what have they done? how do I engage with the sport this way and even when they 're at the game, they will be watching a game but they're, they're compelled to be on their phone because the stats are coming up on the phone as they're oh. doing it and the breakers know this so they pitch themselves a little younger than a lot of the other sports The mastermind behind it all coach Modi Maor. In his first season in charge, Ma'o has taken the club from the bottom to the top in less than 12 months, a resurgence built on the back of fixing a broken team culture. So, the
0: coach they call the magician. I'm with Modi Ma'or at Auckland Airport's check-in. Hello, I'm hey, Sarah. Nice, nice to nice meet you. you? Thanks, for, thanks for talking to me. Right, I'm a bit nervous about talking to you because a um, I, I don't know a lot about the Breakers. How much did you know about them before you came here?
1: Quite a fair bit. Um, the Breakers organization have had a good name worldwide and um, a dominant force in the NBL in the past before the NBL kind of shape-shifted. and New Zealand sports in general is something that I think every sports person in the world follows a little bit so yeah definitely was pretty familiar
0: but I mean they've had real mixed fortunes over the last 20 years or so what's what was the attraction for you to come here
1: I mean the NBL in the past five years has turned itself into one of the best leagues in the world Uh, it attracts worldwide talent young developing players veterans local talent etc so to come and kind of face the challenges that the NBL brings. Are very attractive.
0: So I, re- I read a story that Mark Hinton wrote about you last year when you became the coach. He said that you've been reading up about leadership and you wanted to meet a famous all-black Wayne Shelford.
1: Just met him yesterday. You did? I did. And what was that like? It's fantastic. Uh, had a chance to meet Buck at Eden Park. Um, we toured the grounds, toured the locker room talked about the old days of the All Blacks and his days with Captain captaincy and how he felt what internal leadership looks like. It was eye-opening, exciting, fun. Choose any superlative you want. Mm.
0: <laughs> what, what did you learn from him that you can um, take to the break as, as a leader?
1: I think one of the things that stood out to me the most from meeting him yesterday was how versed he was in the history of the game in New Zealand. We talked about New Zealand teams in, from 1905 and pre-World War One, and he knew their records and each and every game, and he said that that history is something that he carried with him into the games. like He was carried on the shoulders of giants coming into these games. And connecting us to our history, our legacy, whether it's the teams or the countries, is something that I think has great value.
0: It's a little different for the breakers, though, isn't it? I
1: mean, there's... Nothing is copy-paste. You always need to make your own adaptations, but 10 years ago, this team won a 3 so there's definitely a history to connect to.
0: How have you done it, though? I mean, you're an American-born Israeli. How have you come to New Zealand, where the culture is so different, and inspired this team, and turned things around so quickly?
1: I haven't done anything. It's not me, it's the collective of all these people that you see over there um, we had a very clear way of how we wanted to do things and how we wanted to conduct ourselves and we brought in people who fit that kind of mold, and then we empowered them to be as great as they could um, while never compromising on our standards and that led to good things
0: <laughs> but that's you make it sound so easy surely it's not that easy when you, I mean how do you assemble the right people around you for a start
1: so I think it's so easy. It's definitely not because there's a constant battle between all the forces that erode against what excellence looks like, whether winning or losing or fatigue or all these things always kind of try and bite at the heels of everything good. So there's always this protection of standards that needs to be going on in regards to getting the right people in the building. There's a dose of luck that you need, some fairy dust to sprinkle over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's. Through trial and error, through my career and my experiences in life, trying to identify those clear-cut characteristics that will allow a person to be um, himself while still part of a team. We were looking for, A, people who really, truly love the game. It's not an occupation. It's not a business decision. They truly love basketball. Um, The second is we were looking for people who have something to prove, um, who are coming here not to finish their days in beautiful, scenic North Shore Auckland, but come here with something to prove for themselves, for their career, etc. Um, and the third was people that are, or because of those two things, people that are open to change, are open to growth, are open to being pushed and coached, etc. Mm. Last is people well, they got along with people in their past. Teammates like them, coaches like them, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, anything like this.
0: Um, I've heard people describe your style as um, magic and and very inspirational, but also you can be tough. How would you describe the way you coach your players?
1: I really, don't like describing myself. Um, there's a saying in Hebrew that talks about that uh, the baker never says how good his cake is; it's for somebody else to eat and try. I try to forge a real relationship with my guys to get to know them on an individual level, to get to know them as people, to to care about them as people, about the, completely separate for what they do on the floor. And then on the floor, I try and push them to be as good as they can be. Um, there's a real clear way about how I want us to play, and there's a no-nonsense way that we go about this. There's not a lot of room for wiggle room within that. There's a lot of room for you to be who you are, but on the floor the way you play, there's kind of one way that we all need to do it, because I think cohesiveness in team sports is, is a huge factor.
0: I mean, you know, the break is, uh, look, I have to say I haven't been to a game, but I've watched well, quite a lot come. of footage. I know, I really want to come. It's, it's very showbiz and, and <laughs> very it's sort of American and lots of pizzazz in its style. Kind of risky for New Zealand, which likes to be a bit, you know, not too much fuss.
1: I'm definitely not one to judge a game day experience because I'm kind of oblivious to all of it. Like, For me, there's the game, and all the rest, I kind of tune out. It's just noise. But you um, like to rack
0: up the crowd, I hear.
1: <laughs> I think that um, a team like us that plays with a lot of energy and intensity and effort, it's good when the crowd gets behind you. It's another kind of push in the back. Um, basketball is a really growing sport in New Zealand. Everywhere I go, I keep... Being told that this is the most frequent sport played by youngsters and the biggest growing sport, and uh, I think the whatever the game day event looks like, at the end of the day, it's basketball. And if you love basketball, you're going to enjoy the game day event.
0: I also wanted to ask you because I won't hold you for too much longer, but you, you've really um, embraced New Zealand. It seems I have. you've named your, you've given your daughter a Maori name, I which have. means the halo of the moon. Beautiful. Sure. What do you think your future is? Because I know a lot of these players, they see the breakers as a stepping stone to something much bigger, maybe going back to the States or going to the States. What about for
1: you? Um, I love New Zealand. My family loves New Zealand. It's been our adopted home for the last four years, albeit with some COVID interruptions that had us stuck in Melbourne, which we don't like so much. Um, It's been a meaningful a very meaningful experience for me and my family both on an individual professional level and us going from being a married couple to a family of four. Um, that being said basketball is my home and wherever the basketball challenge will take me is wherever I'll follow it.
0: Okay <laughs> you're
1: not committing yourself to anything. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to the breakers for the future I have a uh, two years or more on my contract I, I'm just cautious of um the life of a professional coach is very volatile so to make plans for long-term future and then have the world can shift under you very quickly and easily so i try to be rooted in the moment as much as i can and i really do try to conduct myself as the coach of the breakers with somebody who has an eye towards the future for the organization whether it's developing young players or putting infrastructure in place etc but i also know that as a head coach, you can get fired any moment. So stay rooted in the moment, seems key. keep
0: Good luck. Thank you very much. Really Thank nice you very talking much. to you. Pleasure. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Phil Benge engineered this podcast. Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison are our producers. And thanks to Nathan Rarity and Modi Maor. Kakite ano.